411-LIVE. Well, you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of World, 411-LIVE. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl, 411-LIVE. Do you know about foster care? It's probably something that you don't talk about a lot unless you have direct contact with the system. But I offer that it is something that you might want to think about. In fact, you may be what foster care is looking for. Hello, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. My guests today are Karen Schlinwein. She's the Vice President of Education and Development of Chosen. This is an organization focused on supporting foster care and adoptive families. Also, Teresa Cocker, she is the Chief Program Officer of Norris, and we'll hear a little bit more about both of these organizations as we go along. Now, children are placed in foster care when a child protective services worker or court determine that they are not safe to remain at home. And, of course, there are a lot of things that go into that. And, unfortunately, there are many people, many children, who are in foster care. And, of course, that means that the need for foster homes is great. And that's why we want to talk about this, to bring awareness to all of this. Teresa, I want to start with you because um, I'm wondering just how many children are in foster care in Wisconsin? So there are a little over 7,000 children in foster care in the state of Wisconsin. And about 50% of those children come from southeastern Wisconsin counties. That's where we're seeing the biggest need. In Milwaukee County in particular, approximately 100 new kids come into the foster care system each month. Okay. I mentioned a little bit about why kids or how they end up in the system, but can you expound on that? Why kids end up in foster care? Sure. So foster children uh, or children enter the foster care system when it has been determined that they are unsafe. And that could be because of abuse or neglect. County social workers conduct investigations and um, they interview children and their parents and neighbors and family to determine if there are safety concerns. And um, the goal is to keep kids in their home whenever it's safe and uh, appropriate. So the county social workers will work with the family to say, you know, can we put in a safety plan? Can we put in some supports and services to keep kids in the home? Um, sometimes that's not possible though. Um, parents could be struggling with alcohol or drug addiction. They could be struggling with, uh, domestic violence. They could be struggling with mental health. And, um, when kids cannot be kept safe in the home, then the county social workers will look at, are there any relatives or family friends that can care for these kids? Because it's going to be traumatic for kids to leave their home. And you can imagine how traumatic it is to then be placed in a home that they don't know. Right. So they always look for relatives or family friends first. And then if there aren't any relatives available to take those kids, then that's when they look to foster parents. I'm wondering what has coronavirus done to the numbers? 
So what we have seen um, is that the number of calls of suspected abuse or neglect has gone down a little bit um, since the pandemic started, particularly since the safer at home order. And as people are really um, not out in the community as much as they had been. Um, and when you think about it, it kind of makes sense because yeah. um, people who are considered mandated reporters to call about suspected abuse or neglect are teachers and doctors and therapists. And when kids are not going out to school and they're not seeing their doctor or they're um, you know, using telehealth and virtual meetings with their therapists, um, those professionals are not uh, suspecting abuse or neglect, or they're not seeing the, the signs that would warrant a, a phone call. So in the numbers that I have seen, the, it's been about 15 to 20% de decrease in number of kids that um, have been referred to our program. And ladies, that means that when everything's open and you have more mandatory reporting going on, there could be kind of a little boom which would mean that we need more foster parents, foster homes, right? Exactly. And that's why we have continued to recruit for foster parents through the pandemic, um, because we, we want to be ready for when those numbers go up again. Um, we offer at Norris at least twice a month um, virtual community meetings to learn about foster care. And we um, post those on Facebook and our website for people to join. And we've had some success with people um, attending those meetings, asking questions, and then applying to become foster parents. Now, I know sometimes you guys kind of team up and uh, uh, go out and try to recruit. What's the pitch? Well, we, we've, we've been on different committees together. And uh, so one of the things that we've been trying to do on our committee uh, right now that we are jointly on is to try to figure out what those barriers are that, that uh, prevent people from making that decision to ultimately foster. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've both been doing is taking that information that we've had on that committee and putting that into our recruiting efforts because knowing that the barriers going into one of those meetings mm -hmm. helps us to be able to focus on the things that are important to people to make that decision and anything that might be a misconception we can um, try to make sure makes sense to them so that that's not something that prevents them as you're doing that what are some of the myths or misperceptions well one of the things that I know Teresa and I've talked about a lot. Um, the system in and of itself is something that people just tend to hear so many poor negative things about. And it's not the perfect system. There is no perfect system. Um, but what we've learned um, is that a lot of the focus is on that. And there's so many other things such as children and the impact that you can have on a child um, a lot of people also have a problem with not being able to maybe give up that child. But yeah. what we talk about, though, is that it's about that child and about the needs of that child. And if you can put their needs first, that part of it is still going to be hard. 
But when you consider the impact and the imprint you make on that child's life, it makes it a little bit easier. So we talk about things like that. Um, there are other little nuances here or there that we've learned about. People don't think they can get enough training or have enough support. They don't realize that organizations like Chosen exist. And so we try to educate them a little bit more than maybe what we have in the past. Since you mentioned that, let's talk about Chosen. Let's kind of, there's so much to mention when we talk about this organization. Um, I have, you know, uh, laying everything, all cards on the table. When I was with Channel 30, what? Channel 31, Channel 6. Channel 31 was my Huntsville station. But Channel 6, uh, doing a story on Chosen. And so I know the backstory. So, Karen, give us a little bit on the backstory and where you've gone, because this came from an idea a ministry, and it just, it blossomed. It did. did. Um, Just real quickly, I I grew up as a foster sister. My mom and dad fostered, so I knew at an early age, families look different. Um, My husband and I went through infertility, and ultimately, we lost a baby through miscarriage, and we went on to adopt our daughter and our son. And in the process of that, I started to help others going through that same kind of crisis. Ultimately, I started a ministry with a friend, um, and it was called the Hope Ministry. And during that time, my husband, Tom, and I had sat down and decided that we wanted to open a Christian adoption agency. We had a business plan. We had everything. And then we just really felt very strongly that no was the answer to that. So we put that aside. And our kids grew up knowing that they were chosen. We used to say that they were chosen once by God, once by us. And so the idea of chosen, being chosen, resonated with our daughter, Amali. Uh, So much so that when she was 10, she declared that she was going to adopt a lot of children. Little did I know the reality of that. So a couple years after, a couple months after they got married, um, they got a phone call from Molly's birth mom that she was dying of cancer and wanted to meet all of us again. So we trekked on, met Lois, and it was such a beautiful experience that we wrote our a book about it based on the letters that we had sent to Lois during Molly's 18 years. And that was the springboard for Chosen because Molly and her husband decided that they were going to foster And they recognized early on that foster parents need support. They need tangible items. They need all sorts of things to help them. And so the idea of Chosen came back into play. They became foster parents and have now gone on to adopt four of their foster children and then had a bonus baby last year. (laughs) A bonus baby. I like that. I like that. Mm -hmm. So the Chosen, your baby, the idea chosen became your daughters and her husband and you work with them alongside with them i got to retire five years ago from my insurance career and i've been doing this for the last five years and it's been such a blessing for me because it's my passion it's what i love to do so you open up uh, and there are different aspects to chosen there's the closet Mm-hmm. And you provide resources for uh, adoptive parents and foster parents. That has grown, I take it, because I remember when Molly was filling her basement with little clothing and stuff for, you know, foster parents. And now there's this really nice facility. Yeah, we opened our Waukesha facility, the family closet in May of 17. 
And it has grown to the point that we needed a second space in the building to put all the overflow and off-season clothes. And now we are at a point where about 70% of our families are from Milwaukee County. So we are taking steps now to open a second closet next year in Milwaukee County. Very good. And that brings us to the uh, big event that's coming up in November. Yes. Open Hearts, Open Homes is our annual gala on November 14th. This year it will be virtual because of the pandemic, um, but it will celebrate the work of foster and adoptive families. And it also raises awareness that we need many more families going into next year, especially. We're all on alert that those numbers may start to change. And so we know that more families are needed and that's part of the awareness raiser that we make at that, at that gala. You know, we were talking about um, earlier what it's all about. I mean, children are taken away from their homes for because it's unsafe. Um, the hope is to reunite this family, but taking the children away a lot of trauma. I mean, things that are familiar to them, all of a sudden, it's no longer there. So there are a lot of things to work through. And of course, you want to have those foster parents who are loving and nurturing and provide tons of TLC. But I know, um, Teresa, you deal with children who are really struggling. They have experienced severe trauma, right? They have. So I can share a little bit about um, the foster care licensing process and, and where Norris fits with that. So in the state of Wisconsin, foster parents are certified at a level system. Mm -hmm. And a level one foster parent is someone who wants to be a foster parent for a specific child. So that would be a family friend or a relative. Um, level two foster care is considered general foster care, and that's where um, anyone can apply to become a foster parent. They don't have to have any parenting experience. Um, they will receive some training, some support, and the kids that are referred to those homes are generally developmentally on track, generally not a whole lot of behavioral concerns, and counties across the state license at that level two level. And then level three is therapeutic foster care. And that is the program that I oversee at Norris. And when we look for therapeutic foster parents, we look for people who have experienced parenting or working in a helping field, um, some sort of foundation uh, to build on because the kids that are referred to our program have experienced more complex trauma and tend to have more significant behavioral, emotional, or medical needs. So the foster parents that we um, have, we offer additional training and support to help stabilize and support kids when they're in those homes. That's good. That special people deal with that. And you were saying usually these people, for some in their occupation or somehow, they have kind of ex have experience with dealing with uh, children who have experienced traumatic, ex you know, surroundings, experiences, behavioral issues. Um, so they, now do the kids come to Norris or they're referred to Norris and you guys work to find the place for them? How does, mm -hmm. how does that work? Do they come straight to Norris? So what happens is um, 
you know, every county across the state um, is responsible for managing the child welfare cases within their county. And if, I, if they determine that a child is unsafe and that they need a level three foster home, those counties will refer to the level three agencies. So there's maybe 15 or 20 across the state. So I receive those referrals for Norris. Um, I receive on average 50 to 55 referrals a month. And that's from counties across the state looking for level three placement. Um, about 75% of those referrals do come from Milwaukee County. Do you have enough homes? No, we don't, unfortunately. Um, I Ideally, um, a referral would be uh, sent. We would read information about a child and then have three or four homes to be able to um, to look at and to, to really see what, what is the best fit, what is the most appropriate match. And unfortunately, the reality is we're lucky and counties are lucky if they find a home for a child. Um, a lot of times what we see is um, a negative impact on teenagers because there is a stigma attached to parenting a teenager um, and a thought that it is more you know, challenging than um, parenting, say, an infant or a younger child. So a lot of times when counties are looking for placement for teenagers, if uh, home environment isn't found, those teenagers are then placed in group homes. And then that's a struggle because it's not a family environment. It, you know, it's uh, staff that are paid 24 hours a day, seven days a week to be working in those facilities. And, um, and it's hard for kids to build relationships when they're in that type of environment. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and continue this conversation. If you are listening and watching us on social media, we invite you to leave your comments because we certainly would like to hear or see what you are thinking. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Jason, let's go see your room. life. Welcome back. We are talking about foster care. And one of the big questions I think people listening or watching would have, if they're kind of thinking, hmm, maybe, maybe this might be for me, who should consider becoming a foster parent? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, foster parents are like all of us, uh, like you, like me, like Karen. Um, they can be single, they can be married, they can be partnered, they can work outside the home or not. Um, they can rent, they can own. 
Um, they can have children or not. Um, it's really about having the space in your home and in your heart and ultimately a desire to want to help uh, kids and make an impact. Very good. You want to add to that, Karen? Yeah, I, I mean, anybody, I, I know that's a question that I, I get asked a lot. Anybody that has a heart for children that wants to see a child have a safe home, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who wants to do a long-term placement. There are respite opportunities, and I think that that's one of the things that um, I've noticed in some of the talks that I do that people don't realize. Um, we need emergency um emergency placement for, for kids sometimes. And sometimes it's just a matter of a, a foster family who has a child and needs a weekend away or needs to go take care of a family emergency or whatnot. It's another way for somebody to be able to jump in and not have a long-term commitment, but still be able to provide a very valuable service for other foster families that really need that help. I, I know that, um, Karen, you and I have talked before, and as a matter of fact, we were talking to uh, a couple of foster parents the other day, one of which um, she had foster children and then adopted them, Mm -hmm. and then another who's not really not interested in adoption. She just wants to foster the children as needed. Uh, So you get both, you know, both extremes there. what did you, I, and I know you have tons of stories of uh, people who have opened their homes and, you know, tell us some of them. Well, I mean, the, the story that I always tell, that I always start with is our daughter and son-in-laws because it is a, it's a beautiful story. They opened up their home um, with a dual license, meaning that they would take placements that would either not be permanent, could be permanent or not necessarily permanent. And so they went into fostering knowing that just because they had a placement did not mean that would be a forever child. Um, And they had one placement and it was very hard to let them go. And it was just a month, but they then got their next placement, which are now our two youngest granddaughters. And then about a year later, um, they were asked if they would take the two older children because they, at the time they were split up because they did not have a family that they could find to take all four of them. So they did that and they still didn't really know if that was going to be a potential for them to adopt. They, they were looking like it was going to be. And so this went on for about a total of three and a half years before they finally adopted them this past fall. So it was a lot of emotion a lot of ups and downs, a lot of court dates that didn't necessarily happen when we had hoped they would. Um, a lot of things that happened in between that was very hard in the minutia, but I could, without crying, <laughs> I could very safely say that I know that Molly and Jason would do that whole story again in a heartbeat, even yeah. if adoption weren't the outcome of that journey. Mm-hmm. And the impact that those children have had on our lives has been far beyond anything that we have impacted on theirs. So those are the kinds of stories that I see. Um, We have a a single mom, the one that we had interviewed yesterday. She has adopted, or she has fostered many, many kids and multiple siblings. Um, She's adopted three of them and now has a fourth one. And she's looking like it will be adoption for that one too. The stories are amazing. Um, The generosity of people is amazing. Um, The other story that 
that I always talk about. Um, we have a, a woman who is a nurse and uh, she took all of the level three cases. And this particular one was a child that was blind and deaf and she adopted her and um, she died. She knew she was going to pass away and she was able to adopt her before she passed away. So she had her forever home and she did everything with her. And she gave her all the love of a child that had every ability in the world. And that's the kind of love that we see from the families that we work with. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, many years ago at uh, Fox 6, I did a segment called Adoption Connection. And I would profile uh, kids in foster care. And, you know, we go to the zoo, we do some rock climbing, um, uh, hay rides, different things, fun things with the kids, and just kind of talk about them. And, and they, they would talk, and you would kind of see their personality and just, you know, say that this child is up for adoption. What that did, first of all, it warmed my heart. I loved it. I loved being with those kids. But it also increase the phone calls. You know, people were like, oh, you, you know, I'm interested in that child. And for some of them, they were adopted because of that. And for others, you know, somebody else got the featured kid and mm -hmm. the person who was inquiring, you know, adopted another kid um, who was in foster care. But within that segment, I also did older kids, teenagers, who aged out of the system. And to me, that's, that's heartbreaking because they never had that, you know, that, that forever home. They never went back to their original, their biological families. And, and that's pretty tough. You were saying that you do have, you know, teenagers and a lot of people think, well, I don't know about a teenager, but they need that, that home as well as the little ones, right? They absolutely do. And, you know, a lot of times they have been in situations where they haven't been able to be kids. They've had to, you know, parent their younger siblings or they had to protect a parent or they had to um, to work and not be able to enjoy what it means to be a, a kid. And that's what we share with prospective foster parents and, you know, our current foster parents is, you know, ultimately they they need the space and the safety to be a child to be an adolescent, to, um, to not have to worry about kind of the adult stuff that's going on and just be a kid themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, and you mentioned earlier, sometimes, you know, when they're aging out, because it, maybe they've been in group homes and that, they're not really prepared for that adult life that now they see themselves in and they've mm -hmm. got to, you know, find their way. And there's nobody, no family, nobody to, to kind of fall back on. That's exactly right. Um, we are lucky at Norris. We have one particular foster family that um, only fosters teen boys. That's their niche. That's what they've done. They really enjoy that. And they really focus on building those independent living skills. And working with, you know, the 16, 17, 18 year olds and helping them to um, to learn what it means to um, to be an adult and to live yeah. on your own. And they talk about, you know, stories where previous foster youth have come back and thanked them. And to them, that means the world. Mm -hmm. um, and they are many times um, 
the, the home base for kids after they age out as well. So even if, you know, this particular home, they don't adopt a child, but they're their family. Yeah. And, you know, the child leaves the foster care system um, and maybe goes off to college or gets a job. And then they come back to this home for holidays and they call this home if their car breaks down right. and they build that relationship. And that's what's um, really nice to see is when our foster parents are able to build those relationships with kids. That's really special. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about, too, is, you know, you have um, have it where, say, a African-American child goes into uh, a home with a white family. How do you help families, you know, maneuver that? Sure. So that, so that's a good question. And when that does happen, um, well, first of all, foster parents do go through training. There's required training that they um, complete. And one of the trainings is around cultural competence and just kind of understanding that there are differences and that the importance of being curious and asking questions and being respectful. Um, when we have a child placed in a home of a different culture, we really work with the child's treatment team, the child, the foster parents, the birth parents, the family to identify what is it that is important to that child and that culture to so that the child doesn't lose that identity. And is that, you know, attending different events within the community? Is it foster parents learning more about that particular culture and helping to um, make particular foods or, um, having particular traditions that they that they do. Um, but we also encourage our foster families to really build relationships with the birth parents and the birth families and um, see that as a way to gather the most information on the child, what's important to the family to maintain that cultural identity. Very good, very good. Karen, last question for you, the gala. Somebody wants to uh, participate in that, tell us how. Uh, our web event page is at chosenInlove.org backslash 2020 gala. And on there is all the information, um, how to register. It's a free uh, online event. Uh, we're going to have auctions and um, our, we're going to do a program for about an hour, hour and a half on the day of the gala. Um, so it's going to be a very inspiring day. We've got like, stories of the ones that you you had interviewed and um, some other things that are going to be um, surprises that night. But um, we're really looking forward to being able to do this. It's virtual. It's different for us. Um, we'd love to be um, live, but this is the way it is. And so we're going to make the best of it. And what we're hoping is that by it being virtual and being free this year, that more people will engage to hear more about fostering and adoption. Very good. And of course, the, the auction is off the chain. So, you know, that's always that's a draw. <laughs> All right, ladies, thank you so much for joining me. This has been very informative, and I hope that it has made a few people think about becoming foster parents and opening their home to some precious children. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So we have Karen Shin Wine, Vice President uh, of Education and Development of Chosen, and of course we just talked about Chosen, and Teresa Cocker, who is the Chief Program Officer at Norris. Thank you, ladies, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. 
And thank you for joining us for another episode of the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. If you'd like to see some of the past episodes, uh, please do so. Go to your favorite podcast platform and search the 411 Live. And you can also find us on YouTube. And if you go there, be sure and subscribe. And until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. Thank you.